if you're saying your hard drive shuts down frequently enough to need no it's not frequent it's just three to six months sounds fairly frequent it shouldn't be at all really (laughs) it's five years old so it's well within the parameters of an acceptable hard drive failure if it crashed right now i'd be like yep that was a good five years (laughs) especially back like that was i think just before that western digital thailand thing happened how big is your main hard drive like the connected one wait my main one or my connected one like the sata one the main connected one that is connected by sata cables the one that is running windows yes 128 gigs yeah that's like nothing for a desktop well i know that's not my that's not the one i'm worried about right but if you got a new computer you'd have a better running system plus a ton of storage so what i may do is just buy a 256 gig or 512 gig solid state drive and then put windows on it i don't know rob why not what would you say is the value of your computer right now if you try to sell it judging comparing to modern ones 600 five or 600 i'd say really mine was like mine was just over 600 and it was brand new is yours that good better specs than yours it really doesn't if it's five years old as good specs than yours because i've upgraded it i'll I'll leave the judgment in your hands but just because yours is worth more than 600 now you put an ssd in it right so well whatever it's up to you it's really it really all depends what someone's willing to pay that's true. I don't think anyone would pay 600 but I think that's what it's worth. <laughs> is, that, is that not what you wanted to hear? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's not really how the free market works, Rob. This is a kind of a different episode of Future Chat. Mike, uh, Mike is, of course, joining me. How are you doing, Mike? Great, as always. Nick, Nick is not here today. Uh, apparently, Easter and, and family and other commitments but um we're gonna soldier on without him of course it's ironic that nick is the one to value that over the show it is it's ironic (laughs) yes it is ironic and ironic (laughs) so um as mike and i were discussing briefly before we started this show we're gonna take it in a slightly different direction and uh Probably not go as long, not go to the, our normal future chat hour and 15 minute show. Although I, I want to add a caveat that I don't know because this might go off the rails. But we're going to try a slightly different format. We have, I think, one technically topical news story, but we kind of want to talk about some things we've been waiting to talk about. And uh, so that being said, uh, Mike, I have some news that you already know, but for the sake of the listeners, I'm going to tell you again. I am now subscribed to an online backup service. <gasps> I have no idea. And uh, you may have heard of it if you listen to podcasts. It's called Backblaze. This is, you You asked me if this was the one on Hello Internet, and indeed it is. Uh, but many other podcasts have, have been advertising Backblaze for at least the last two or three maybe even longer years. They've been doing it for a long time. They they first had a Mac app, the, the, their former Apple engineers that wrote kind of a real hardcore Mac app because if you want backup software, you want it to be really robust and, and that's what they did. But it turns out they've also ported it to Windows. Well, I don't know if they ported it, but they built a version for Windows. I'd hope they didn't port it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And uh, so I have the Windows one on my on my computer because I now have, as it turns out, unfortunately, one of the consequences of growing up, you end up collecting some stuff. So I have 1.8 terabytes of stuff that I don't want to lose. And I'm apparently willing to pay $5 a month for it now. Now, Rob, before you continue. Yeah. Is this 1.8 or for the sake of discussion, two terabytes of data that's been curated and assess on its worth or is this just i have two terabytes and i don't want to actually go through the hassle of <laughs> assessing whether it's worth saving well so here's the thing with i'll answer that question i have done some curation i'll, I'll get more into that point in a minute but with backblaze the beautiful thing about that black blackblaze which is hilariously what they call it on some podcasts they can't pronounce the name and it's a running joke and blackblaze.com actually is registered and points to backblaze.com uh, they don't care what you have, what you have connected to your computer, as long as your any USB drives or your main hard drive, all you can choose to back entirely up for $5 a month. And so I don't have to have curated it. But that being said, if if every time I get within about 50 gigabytes of the last of the last terabyte uh, full, so I get down to about 50 gigabytes remaining, I go through and I delete a bunch of stuff I feel like I don't need anymore. So it's kind of been refined, but I haven't actually gone through everything. I've just kind of deleted the the lowest thing, the thing I need the least. And uh, so I'm getting I'm getting tight. But the the main reason I wanted to get this backup service was well, first of all, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. But uh, on Thursday or Friday, maybe Thursday night, I think it was, I had my hard drive or my computer restarted. And as people who've been working with hard drives for a while know when your computer restarts and when like everything turns off and back on, that's typically the failure point of older hardware is it just goes to sleep and never wakes up again. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that almost, I feel like that almost happened. I don't know how close it was, but my, my hard drive is like five years old and this poor little guy, it took three or four kind of, I guess it's, I was doing CPR. I was like turning it off for 10 <laughs> seconds, turning it back on, just hoping it eventually did come back to life. But, uh, all these, these metaphors are, are very somber. Um, it eventually started working again. And at that point, having, having had that happen every once in a while, I said every six months, uh, before we started the show, this is six months to a year. It was, it was a, a technical failure rate uh that eventually got resuscitated that was big enough and the hard drive was old enough that i thought all right this is worth five dollars a month to just not have to worry about even if something did crash i would just go buy a new hard drive and kind of put everything that was there back onto it Mm -hmm. the great thing about backblaze is once it's like once it's done sort of similar to google drive but or or dropbox for your entire computer once it has everything backed up, which is, it's now going through the process. You kind of just, it kind of just, every time you change a file, it just syncs those changes. And so you get, you get peace of mind that you don't have to keep kind of doing backups every day or something. It just kind of keeps working in the background. And they're actually really fast. When I first started, they recommended a backup rate of about five gigabytes a day. And I was just thinking that'll take like six years. (laughs) Right. And uh, so I eventually, because we have now, uh, I'm on Bell Internet, which is unlimited, and so I have 50-50 fiber. Nice. And 
Yeah. So <laughs> my first test, I was like, okay, well, if I use one backup thread, they have you from, you can choose from one to 10 backup threads and you can choose either to have faster networking or faster backups. Like there's a slider. I, I immediately slid the thing all the way to faster backups and it was only using about 10% of my connection. And so I did that for a couple hours and I was like, okay. I can still play HD video. This is fine. So I cranked it up to two and then three and then four uh, backup threads. And at that point it was taking up, I think it was around 17 megabits a second, which is about a third of my uh, network. Still, I was able to play HD video just fine. And so last night I finally just opened it up. I basically like I I (laughs) did all 10 backup threads. It said it was supposed to be 230 or something gigabytes a day. And it was 58 megabits a second up. Which really, that's that's one hundred and twenty percent of my connection, <laughs> and I was still able to stream. Like I was watching the Bell TV, I was watching hockey last night on my tablet, and it was working fine. So I don't, I don't know how fiber connections work, but they're like reverse throttling me. They're like, oh, you have some extra bandwidth. Here's here's more bandwidth just for you. <laughs> Which like kudos okay. to Bell and kudos to Backblaze because. That's pretty awesome. So s- since we're 95% of the way to an unsolicited ad for Backblaze, what is their pricing scheme and limits and all that kind of stuff for those curious? It, so basically they advertise no limits. It's basically as fast as your ISP is willing to upload stuff. They can, they will take it and it's $5 a month. No, there's no limits except that it's $5 a month per computer. And there's no data caps? No. Okay. And they have a service where, I mean, eventually I'm going to contact Backblaze and be like, hey, we put it, we talked about your service for five minutes. This is not an ad. Uh, they're not paying me, although that may happen in the future because they're really cool and they advertise podcasts. But uh, they also have, they just released a new product that's basically similar to Amazon uh, S3 storage, just like kind of not cold storage, but like app storage. And so you can do that as well. They will also... If your computer crashes and you don't want to have to, like you have a slow connection or something, you don't want to deal with having to re-download everything on your hard drive, they will actually, for like a hundred bucks or something, like you basically cover the cost of a hard drive and they'll ship you a hard drive with all your stuff on it. So yeah, they're, they're a pretty cool service, but this is my first actual experience with the program, mm-hmm. like with actually backing up and it's been extremely painless so far. It's been probably about 48 hours, between 48 and 72 hours, I would think. And of my 107,000 files, totaling 1.876,000 megabytes, so like 1.87 terabytes, uh, it has done over 90% of the files, and it's been it's about 10% of the total. It hasn't. It seems to be doing. It seems to be prioritizing small files. Right now, it's on MP3s Mm -hmm. and. I'm guessing it's going to do videos last. So I'm going to get to like the last two 2,500 or something episodes. Last time I looked, I had about 2,500 episodes of TV on my hard drive. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But right now I'm doing an HD video <clears throat> chat and backing up at, uh, 5.19 megabits a second. I turned it back down for the episode. I turned it back down to one backup thread. So kind of, expanding the discussion as it relates to cloud storage Mm -hmm. this is different than cloud storage right i mean technically it still is cloud storage but it's different in that it's non-selective i mean you this time in this case like dropbox you have 
basically a a whitelist where everything you put in this one folder gets backed up. But Backblaze is the exact, I guess the exact reverse in that you, it by default, it backs up everything and you can select folders you don't want backed up. Right. But what I mean by it's not cloud search is you can't access this remotely and just manage your files uh, through you can their download service. your files. Right. But you, you can't, like Google Drive wise, you can't just go in, navigate through your files. If you're not at your computer, you can't. Uh, well, their website, you can go and look at files and like restore them, quote unquote. Like you can download them to whatever device. Oh, okay. But you, yeah, but you can't. You can't go in and like edit a file unless you have a computer that's running, like that the backup is running on. Right, but if, say if I'm I having a computer backed up, and I'm in Australia, yeah. and I'm like, you oh go crap, that files on computer. I can go and just get on whatever computer, go to Backblaze, download that file, yeah, and without any sort of additional hassle, it's just right. Yeah, it's pretty good because I'm uh, I'm comparing yeah. to Google Drive. And so one terabyte of drive is 10 bucks a month. Yeah. And 10 is a hundred. Mm-hmm. Whereas this seems to be five bucks a month with no limits. Right. And it does the same thing in essence, except for having the functionality of the Google drive program, so to speak. Well, yeah. You don't have the, yeah. you don't have the syncing for instance, between multiple computers and you don't have the live editing online. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, it compares very favorably. Okay. Like as, as a backup solution, it's very favorable as a yeah as as a kind of everything backup i don't think i would ever actually restore like if my hard drive crashed as soon as we finished this recording and my backup completed if my hard drive crashed i wouldn't go and restore from the backed up hard drive i would go get a new computer get a new hard drive whatever and then i would put the files i needed back on as you needed them almost yeah i wouldn't like these systems like any any backup system restores a bunch of system files you don't actually right. like you wouldn't want in an ideal world you wouldn't want to put them back on right. to a different hard drive like yeah. that that was the problem you had with your ssd yeah. is that you were trying to back up to something that was different than the initial medium and it doesn't work all that well yeah well it was, it was trying to mirror yeah, right it was trying exactly. to restore through a mirrored image and yeah, like you said, it has all the system files and when you install applications, it put things places and does run scripts and all that kind of stuff. But if you're just trying to copy and paste, it doesn't do the same thing. Right. So you'd want to, you'd want to back up or download windows, all the windows system files. You'd yeah. want to download them from windows CDN, have windows install them and then put your files back on. Yeah. In a perfect world. Obviously that takes a bit longer, but yeah. So I, I, I've always seen the value in backups, but I never had a computer for long enough that the hardware was anywhere near a kind of a failure point. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was going to happen eventually. And I'm, I'm kind of excited that it happened now. Like now I'm really an adult. I'm backing up my files. Right. And so I'm still going to, I'm not going to subscribe to Backblaze for my laptop because my protocol so far has been any, anytime I'm done with files there, I either put them in Google Drive or I put them on my hard drive like i move them over yeah and so i don't really have any need for the only thing i have on there are programs and the files i'm currently working on which are backing up to google drive so this is kind of the one-stop shop for me and i think the, the second my hard drive or computer does fail i'm going to be very happy as opposed to being very very sad yeah yeah the way 
my backup systems work now is like you have Google Drive on my desktop and I make a point to save anything that I'd want to use later in my drive folder. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just on the desktop as a temporary file, so to speak, and then just delete it after. Or it wouldn't be a big loss if it if it was gone. Yep. Uh, work-wise, we have a system where it backs up the network drives to two different external drives. So mm-hmm. you alternate them on a week-by-week basis. So you always have at least a one-week backup between right. the two drives. Um, so from that aspect, and it's, I think it's get back, it gets backed up nightly, I believe. Okay. So, um, so if yeah, again, it, with that, if my computer, my work computer failed, then I'd have a backup of all the network stuff and I don't keep anything really on my, mm-hmm. my work computer as far as my own files. So, um, yeah, locally anyway. So, um, I, but I, well, I heard about backblaze, like you mentioned from hello internet and, it sounded intriguing, especially yeah. the $5 per month price point. Like that seems to be fairly reasonable for, for having that service, especially if there are no limits. Um, like to me, the two bucks a month for drive storage is fairly a no brainer. Yeah. that. Well, but once you get into 10 bucks a month for a terabyte, <laughs> that's, that's almost like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like hold yeah. on there. But Why the five, so much more, but the five bucks seems okay. Yeah. For, for what Backblaze offers, so yeah, we, we've been talking in recent weeks about the comparison between two dollars for a hundred gigs of storage versus Slack's eight dollars, seven or eight dollars, and then Feedly's five forty one or seven dollars if you go monthly, and just comparing services. And I think Google Drive to me, I don't even know if it wins out. Like it offers extra services, mm-hmm. but in terms of just that raw hundred gigabytes, I think Backblaze might even be a little better. Well, that's kind of what I'm starting to think when you're talking how you you actually can access it remotely from wherever you are and download it without mm-hmm. any issue. Like to me, that almost seems better than Drive because uh, yeah, like the the good thing with Drive though, and what I've actually been using a lot more recently is being able to share files just mm-hmm. with a link and have people yeah. view and edit them. You can set permissions, you can collaborate. Backblaze wouldn't allow that thing. It's you right. can download a file and send it as an attachment, but drive allows you to share links and collaborate. But like I've done that actually quite a bit lately, just making a point to almost because it's like, yeah. well, I have it there. I'll send a link. I was actually literally going to send an attachment. I was like, well, I'll just send a drive link. Like yeah. it's already there. I would have downloaded it and attached it. I was like, I'll just yeah. send a link. Right. So, Especially if you're sending, I find if you're sending um, to a Gmail user, a known Gmail user, there's no confusion. If you're sending it to someone on Outlook, they might be like, they might get confused and not exactly know if they're not familiar with kind of backups and right. storage. But uh, if you're on Gmail, even if you send, if, even if you post a drive link in the in the body of the email, it'll show them a file, right? Which is nice. But see if if it comes across a non-drive user, I'd be thrilled to explain to them the benefits of oh, it, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like, it's a win-win, really. <laughs> oh, man. I was looking to explain, to give my mom a Google Drive tutorial about two months ago. And so I was going back through the archives of old Google Drive promo videos, just seeing how they explained it. And it was very much like that. It was like very condescendingly. Did you know you don't have to attach files anymore? You can just send the drive link. Right. But it's from like 2006, 2007. I don't even know if that was, if drive was actually around by then, but that's, I feel like it was that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. 
we're and we're we are getting there mm-hmm. my most people i know like most people who are not as technically knowledgeable would still be like oh you know send in an email or things but i'm just like i haven't attached something to an email in so long unless it explicitly says attach to email like for a job or something mm-hmm. then i will always just send the link like that's my default now right why would you ever send and i've been talking i don't know if i mentioned this to you but i've been thinking about this for a while it seems like everything and and i love this everything on the web has a link now like if you send a google drive link you you send them straight to the link like now even facebook messenger you can save a link directly to a thread if you go to messenger.com each conversation has an individual um number like a 16 digit number or whatever oh I love okay that, yeah right yeah I love that things have a URL, right? but I wish emails had a URL. I wish I could share an email with a link. I hate having to forward emails. I I don't know if that's just because I really like bookmarking things. Like I'd love to save an email mm-hmm. by link and you can't. Right. And that's like the only thing you can't. Right. Everything else you can save. Yeah. Like at least with Outlook, you can attach an email to an email yeah. mm-hmm. and I've done that before, but yeah, I know what you're I, I kind of know what you're talking about with that because it's like we've already talked about it already. Just refer to this email yeah, chain, exactly. but you can't really do that. Like the most you could do is print an email to a PDF and then attach <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. So, which is not yeah not the same at all. No. So yeah, I'm gonna have to report back, but I lo- I love my backups. The 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 curious thing for me, like Google Drive for me is not a backup. Google Drive right. is my default place where I put files, but really now that i'm an adult and have income like regular income compared to being a student and being kind of underemployed i knew backups were important mm-hmm. i was just like my stuff isn't old enough or important enough to need backing up and i hit that crucial point where i had a minor heart attack when my hard drive didn't start up cuz not that this is super important but i actually moved my google drive folder to my external drive so at that point when the hard drive wasn't booting up i looked over at my google drive icon on the taskbar and it was grayed out because it couldn't find (laughs) the google drive folder i was like i know you're backed up but this is so stressful (laughs) so they have software that just locally backs up to another Mm -hmm. drive right yep Um, and it might even be a windows windows yeah windows has yeah so because you could put in like a thumb drive and have a specific folder back up to that thumb drive and in theory dynamically like sync itself yeah. right yeah and that sounds okay cuz there there are a, like i'd say like my local drive has maybe like a gig worth of my own stuff okay right that if if my computer work computer is fried then i probably would want back and yeah. right now it's not currently being backed up as far as i know so it would be good, I guess, to have that. So maybe I should probably look into that a little mm. bit. You know, this before we move on from from backups, I kind of want to just discuss with you a what if scenario, and this is more like a theoretical exercise than something you should actually do. Okay, but I'd be curious if you suggested. I th- I forget what they call this. I know they have a term for it in technology. I might I'll have to look it up. Some I feel like it's something to do with a monkey. Maybe it's like. I can't remember. I'm I'm going to make a fool of myself trying to remember. But basically you have your work backup system in place and everything's mm-hmm. backing up and everything's fine. I'm curious to see what would happen if you 
basically ran a test, ran a system test of your backup system. If so, say give give employees or one employee or whatever, however big you want the test to be, give them a week or three days or something, and say you are going to lose this hard drive in three days. You need to prepare for this, and whatever you don't have backed up or whatever you don't have in the system is going to be lost. And see first of all how they manage what what they have to change about their routine, right. and then see how difficult or easy it is to recover from that loss of hard drive. Like basically what, what I would imagine doing is when they go home for work that day, someone comes in and rem- physically removes their hard drive, like a, a boss or something. And it's like, here's your new hard drive. We, we saw your, your backup failed. And so your hard drive is dead. And uh, basically here's a new hard drive, put it in the computer, install windows, and then recover from this, issue mm-hmm. and just see how how hard it would be because everyone has a good backup strategy until it's put in motion and then it's like and then suddenly you see the failing points of right. where where it'd be really hard to get certain stuff right. back so I'm, I'm curious because i don't know i don't know what my work has in place i don't know what your your work has in place right. other than the fact that everyone has like dusted their hands off and said all right we have a backup system right. like I'm, I'm curious how robust our work backup systems actually are right i'll i'll use a real life example because this actually happened mm-hmm. When there was a electrical fire or failure of some sort downtown and it wiped out like 10 blocks of buildings power. Yeah. And so for that week, we were needing to work in a different location. And so our company has two offices, one in one part of Calgary, one downtown. So mm-hmm. my manager and I were working out of this other office and because our file structure was all network based and those networks were being backed up. We were able to physically take the drives, the backed up network drives, mm-hmm. and plug them in in a different place, and they went live. And we were able to remap the uh, the drive where it was looking for the drives and being yeah. able to still access them. So that was fine. The things okay. that we weren't able to do was the, I guess it would be like IP specific. Uh, license keys for software yeah so we had this one network license for one piece of software that we needed to get like a temporary license from the software provider because we weren't able to access it and it's like okay well help us out here yeah so they were able to do that and yeah like for the most part electronically we were able to manage what we weren't able to was because because we weren't in that actual office as far as like hard copies we just Mm -hmm. kind of had to keep it all in this different location and then move them all back over to the other one. So the biggest right. downfall was the physical aspect. Digitally, we were That's actually, we were actually fairly okay. Yeah. Um, it, the, the biggest thing was just the preparedness aspect because when this all happened, we're like, Oh crap, what do we do? And then we had to just in that moment, come up with a plan. We didn't really mm-hmm. have a like, oh, okay. Oh, we've, we know what to do. This is, you know, uh, relocation plan a or whatever and then just go and do it we were like okay hey, sure. you know i had to it was like and it was over a weekend too so it was like i was like a saturday and my manager and i were moving stuff over to this other office and all this kind of stuff so right um that was the only lack of preparedness so to speak where we just didn't have the plan at hand but we were able to have it come together with the systems we had in place but again if if i had to access anything from my own local computer drive i wouldn't have been able to do that but because right. most or all those files are not 
things I need on a daily basis, then that was pretty much fine. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of that stuff that's on there is kind of more just reference material I come across that I just want to save, but isn't really company wide, you know, reference material. So I'll just keep on my local drive. Sure. So that's why I'll put it on there. But that's our backup system. and, And it seems to have worked. Yeah, it seems like yeah. it held up. Yeah. I I think the government would have should have a similar yeah, type they, thing. they have backup systems yeah. for sure. Um I don't know that their robustness has ever been tested, but I do know we were having a conversation this past week about hard copies and how we we now in a lot of programs we we've started moving to digital. But every, everyone, well, I say everyone, people still print stuff off and keep a hard copy. I did that once in one of my old jobs a couple of years ago because I was forced to. Right. I was just like, this is not the future. Why right. are we still, we have this backup copy on our hard drives. Why are we printing off a copy to put in a cabinet and it literally never be looked at? Right. But uh, yeah, our systems are pretty good. But again, they haven't been tested. I, I'd be curious to see what would happen if... My hard drive just failed at home, but I know that I know there are a few files on my work computer that are, they're saved on my local hard drive and nowhere else simply because our backup system is so bad. It's so, I don't want to say it's old because it, it's not that old, but it is not modern. Mm -hmm. So the, the system doesn't work with windows. It's a layer on top of windows and saving things you you have to save them somewhere in the network structure or in kind of your little home directory but those two don't communicate with each other okay and so rather than saving in my little home directory which is more meant for personal kind of files yeah there's no kind of scratch workspace that backs up and that's where like i keep all these things that are ongoing and that i kind of don't want to finalize yet i don't want to put them somewhere yeah exactly yeah and so those files are just kind of in limbo if my computer was gone tomorrow when i or on tuesday when i went to work it would be i would just have to restart them Mm because they're just gone right and it that that to me is a failure of the backup system not necessarily not necessarily the actual kind of structure of the way our backups work everything that would need to be backed up would be backed up Right. Except for these files, because there's nowhere to put them. That's pretty much exactly where where I am as well. Yeah, where I have everything backed up except for just a set type of file. Yeah, and I think that's why I just need to yeah get a USB drive that you know a 16 gig that just backs up everything that's not already being backed up, mm-hmm. and then I know that I can just grab that USB drive and that is fine. Yeah, but so we'll have to. I'm going to report back once this backup is done and on how the how it's keeping up. Because I've never backed up files like every week or so we generate 1.5 gigs of audio. I, I haven't seen how the robustness of that holds up, but I'm guessing with our internet speed and robustness, it'll probably be okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad to have, uh, I'm really glad to have a no bandwidth cap because otherwise I would be destroying it this month <laughs> trying to back everything up or it would take months to actually get right. it all backed up if I wanted to go slow enough. I was looking through and I have 50 meg- fifty gigabytes of uploads from the day before yesterday. And I'm kind of curious to see now that I opened the pipe wide open, what it's going to look like. It's probably going to be 100 and 150 gigabytes of stuff packed up. Right. Yeah. 
So did you have anything else to say on backups or? No, I think that's, we move on that's to the rest. Before I move on, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you had a story here that you that you thought might lead to a bigger discussion. Yes. Um, so internet commenting is kind of like you have forums dedicated to commenting on stuff. You know, your Reddits, your 4chan's. 4chan's probably a bad example, but <laughs> it's kind of it's 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 those places where you go that you know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And then you have internet comment sections where it it's normal people generally that are coming across it that they either go there with the intent to do something or they don't know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. And as a example of this, Engadget, just one of the many tech blogs and tech journals on the internet, I don't know if they had a comment section before, but they at least reopened one. I think they're migrating comment services because I okay. guess now these sites have, I guess, third-party comment sections or it's kind of a Usually, yeah. unified system like Discuss or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And so Engadget was kind of migrating their service and they reopened the comment section and I guess it's news to them that people are horrible <laughs> and comment sections are the depths of the internet, but they right. basically said, you know, we tried and it wasn't constructive, so we're shutting it down and trying again later. Mm-hmm. And I think we've we've talked about comment sections before, at least you have on on your blog, I think, and yeah. just in general. But do you find benefit to having a comment section? There definitely can be benefit. There is a positive aspect to comment systems in general, but pretty much any platform is subject to people saying or doing terrible things. You, You could have... You could have... You could write a blog post on any blog platform hit post and someone could go grab that link, share it on Twitter along with something stupid or homophobic or racist, whatever, whatever. And, or something intelligent or constructive or beneficial, right? Yeah. I know what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They can do that and they can post it and tag you in it and be like, you're an idiot. Right. Or something much, much worse. And, you can do that if you have comments open you can do it directly on your page and same with like you mentioned same with good comments someone could leave a beautiful intelligent comment on facebook they could fill the entire 62,500 whatever uh characters with like this beautiful essay that's five times as long as what you wrote but it's so it's so well written and it perfectly addresses all the things and it, it gets along with you and it disagrees with you thoughtfully all like beautiful and Neither of those situations are affected by whether or not your blog has a comment system. I I would say to me, the benefit of having a comment system on your actual page is that you are much more likely to see, like it takes someone doing something exactly right in order for the, for you to see a comment someone makes about your thing. If it's not on your site, Mm -hmm. if they put it on Facebook, they'd have to tag you and your settings have to be right. And their settings have to be right. If you do it on Twitter, they'd have to know your Twitter handle. They'd have to know you check it a lot. And in theory, comments could work the same way. You don't have to necessarily check comments as an admin of a website, but they tend to, especially bigger sites like Engadget. So I get not wanting to have to moderate comments, but I definitely think there's also room for them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? I've, I'm kind of on the same page as you because my experience with comment sections, you have CBC's done. I think that CBC.ca has had a similar uh, directive or, or change to their site where I believe they're disabling commenting. Okay. I can't remember if they're disabling it or more heavily moderate. I think maybe they're more heavily moderating it. I think that's, yeah. that was the issue. So th- that's one example. And then you have, say, places like Vox, where yeah. they don't have comment sections, but when you follow, if you follow them on Facebook, their Facebook posts, like they'll post their own articles on Facebook and they'll get hundreds of comments and, right. you know, lots of upvoting and lots of sub replies to comments. So that, that, in a sense, that is their comment platform, but it's mm-hmm. not hosted directly on their site. So because that discussion is still taking place, the lack of a comment section isn't really hurting them. Right. Because people still, you know, if you read Vox, you kind of know where to go to dis- participate in discussion about the articles, if that's yep. what you're looking for. And I don't know if these Facebook comments are moderated by Vox or whoever, but either the way the discussion is taking place. Now, Twitter is kind of a different story. I find Twitter doesn't really foster the same sort of discussion and really isn't really a suitable platform for a widespread discussion on something just that's just more of a downfall of twitter being twitter i think facebook is a bit more conducive to that kind of thing because it's just a bit more static Mm -hmm. um but yeah i I agree with what you're saying that if you have a comment section hosted right on your page it's a lot more direct and you know where to go for it but again if someone's coming across your article and they scroll to the bottom and there's a bunch of bad comments that haven't been moderated then that could potentially drive someone away Mm -hmm. whereas if you go to facebook to participate in discussion you have to seek it out a bit more i think right or or you just are more you kind of expect it a bit more it being facebook versus being your actual site yeah um now ottawa news i i know a while ago you guys were talking about comment sections yeah. How, how has that worked out for you guys? Um, so what happened was on one of the posts that we did, I think it was the one about the tunnels under our yeah. subway. Okay. I forget even what it was. I'll have to look it up. Um, it was a, it was a abandoned subway tunnels being used yeah. for transit. I or forget. Something. Yeah. yeah. Th- there were, so there were five or six comments and people were focusing attention on something that didn't need any attention focused on it um so in general we love comments yeah uh and we mostly think that these quote-unquote bad ones are funny but in this case there were just people kept building on them and like posting really 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 long comments that were just weird and not necessary okay and a bit kind of not in good taste is probably the best way to put it. And so I started off removing comments. And then this person started, one of the people that was commenting, they were commenting anonymously. It's worth noting. Okay. You can put in your name, you can attach a Google Plus profile or Google Blogger or whatever profile. But they were choosing to be anonymous. And 
so I was removing their comments, like moderating them. And then they started going, this is censorship. You can't, you can't silence me. Stop deleting my comments. And I was like, great. Uh, and turned the comments off on that post. So the nice thing about blogger is that you can individually on individual posts, you can turn off, uh, comments. And so that's, that's the direction that we chose to go. And that's the direction I will go if that ever happens again with like that specific thing. Like we get thing, things all the time talking about people pointing out this satire on the, on the right. comments and that totally fine with we're we're totally fine with people saying like posting something like what happened on march 15th this is incredibly stupid <laughs> right i don't know exactly if they're talking about the story or if they're talking about people's response to it but uh yeah we had a guy who went really in depth about canada we posted about how canada wanted to secede from right. ottawa and this guy went deep he posted like a hundred word comment about like talking about empire builders and government and and how people in ottawa have spoken governmentees since birth they're mind washed public servants like all of this crazy <laughs> stuff and i'm like that's pretty funny i like that we're gonna leave that there but yeah the, there's so many things where it's like yeah this is fine and then it gets to a line and you're like, no, I don't want this on my site anymore. Right. And so at one time it got to the point where I was like, ah, don't, if it either hurts somebody or is just like hurtful in general, then I have no problem removing it. Like that is not what censorship mm-hmm. is. Someone removing something that on the platform that they control, they're well within their rights to do that. Um, Ottawa news is not the government as much as we think that would be hilarious if it was. And so that, that's the stance that we've taken is that in general, we're not going to delete comments anymore, Mm -hmm. but we will shut down the comment section and like remove it. There's, you can like, there's three settings. There's the one where anyone can comment. There's the one where comments are closed, but still visible. And there's the one where they're just gone. Mm -hmm. And so our thing has been, if something like that happens again, it's just going to be the comment section is going to disappear right. for that post. Yeah, I, th- I think where comment sections are offer an added benefit is where it fosters a community, mm-hmm. because in a lot of these comment sections, you see that there's people who know each other from other comments, and yeah, you know, there's a constructive discussion, even if it's critical, it's still, you know, and there's inside jokes and all this kind of stuff, right? Like it's and and I think that's a good thing to have because you know, it's, it serves its own purpose, but mm-hmm. I can see why some sites either don't want that at all, even that aspect, or it's just, yeah, like you said, gotten to the point where it's just not constructive and abusive and just not beneficial for anyone to have. So, yeah. Um, I just thought it was funny where, you know, especially a site like Engadget where, you know, they're a tech site. So it's like, oh, you know, we found that people were being blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, what did you expect? Like, yeah, you're not new to the internet, but yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how much more you have to say on this, but I'm going to close out at least my comments on comments by posting a link to a startup. I guess they're a startup. I don't really know how this works. Who's a startup and who's a unicorn. They might be a unicorn um, called civil comments and it's run by at least one pretty influential tech person. And basically what they're trying to do is, make it easier to deal with comments if you want to have them. And uh, 
have people kind of consider their audience and consider the comment section they're posting in when posting. So it's similar to discuss. Mm-hmm. I always call it discus uh, in that it's kind of a thing where you Im- embed a comment section in each post by like algorithmically, but it's not actually hosted on the site itself. It's hosted elsewhere, but it lets you, it lets the person who's posting a comment kind of reflect on whether like it even includes messaging that way, like reflect on this post. Is it contributing to the conversation? Is it like, it gives you explicit language and instructions of how to leave a positive comment. And then there's other systems where kind of the group is able to moderate things. And, I think there's also algorithms that will like remove if certain words are in the post, it just won't let you post it. Mm. And the, with the goal being that it kind of, it doesn't force you to leave positive comments, but it makes it, it encourages you much more right. than most other things to leave a positive comment or like a, at least a constructive comment, not necessarily positive, right? but at least not negative or horrible in any way. Right. Yeah, it's almost, so, I think yeah. they're, they're working off of the idea that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you're you're reducing the number of comments, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. In, in most cases, it's yeah. it's a good thing. Like, oh man, I, it, it's sad. Cracked is one of the first websites that I ever read. Just like the, the, the funny stories, the articles, the videos. They started recently posting their videos to YouTube. I guess not recently, but like in the last year, year and a half posting stuff to youtube so i'm much more likely to to watch it because i get subscribed and i sure. and i see it yeah. and every time there's a girl hosting whatever thing right they're all like at least half the comments are like wow she's hot or right. she's ugly or right. like in equal measure it's right. always just about their but see, like their attractiveness there's people that do that like intentionally to either troll or just to be funny like i, I at least that's how i see it when I like there, there's some that do it I genuinely agree. as far as just being gross, but there's, there are people I think who just do it to try to be funny because that's what's expected. Right. Right. Like, I don't know. It's, it, but I, I think that there's far more people not realizing that it's not a joke. than there are people like, ha ha ha, this is what I need to say. Right. And yeah, going the leap from going from thinking, wow, that's a nice outfit or she looks good to actually posting it in a comment section. Right. When, when you could scroll through the comments, like it's clear to me that nobody who posts, most people who post comments don't read any other comment before or after doing so. Because if they did, they would see that their comment is exactly like, if they are making a joke, they're making a joke that's been made (laughs) right below 40,000 times. Like you don't need to add that. Right. Yeah. But so that, that's one example, like crack tends to have really bad comment sections. I noticed, I don't know if they're just not fans of change, but some of their writers tend to be much more experimental with comedy, kind of like Kyle Mooney at the end of SNL episodes the last couple of years, where they're not jokes in the sense that like everyone's going to get this and laugh and think it's funny, but it's more like a certain sense of humor is going to find this hilarious and other people are going to be like, what is this? This is so dumb. Right. And it tends to be new writers or new performers or whatever if it's in the case of video that kind of bring in this more experimental thing and it's almost universally hated Mm -hmm. for the first like six months that they're on the staff and then never mentioned again like i remember when i first started or maybe shortly after i started reading cracked cody johnston was hired 
this is very inside cracked. So if you don't read cracked or pay attention to them, then you're not going to know what's going on. But um, Cody Johnston had just started and everyone was like, this guy's terrible. What is he doing here? Like he doesn't belong on the site. He's not funny. He's so dumb. And then it's just like, he still does dumb stuff. And like, it is pretty dumb. He would probably even say the same thing, but now it, that, that kind of commentary is not there anymore. Either they got used to it or like people just hate change. And that I'm also seeing that with this, with this girl, the, the new one, uh, I think her name is Carmen, but I could be wrong. Uh, she now I, i'm seeing the exact same kind of comments like she's not funny this is the worst thing i've ever seen on cracked it's like definitely not the worst thing <laughs> is, you are giving other things way too much credit like it's not that like, obviously i think most of the stuff is funnier i wouldn't read it but uh it was def that was definitely not the low bar by any stretch and so these people are either sexist or just completely opposed to change just to be opposed to change right yeah but anyways the comments are it's fine. Yeah. No, I, I guess to, I guess, conclude on, on mine, for my own use of comment sections, I'm usually the type to read an article, have a reaction to it, and then I'll immediately see if other people have had the same reaction. Mm. Almost as kind of like a self-check, like, am I the only one here that saw this? And, you know, sure enough, it's in the top, you know, five comments, someone's in like, said, you know, had the same feeling about something mm. as me. Yeah. I generally, I generally don't participate in comment sections if my thought on it has already been discussed at length, mm -hmm. I'll just yep. kind of read through, see what's been said, like, okay, that whatever. Like, and I'll usually try to read the top couple comment threads just out of entertainment, I guess, to see what people yeah, are saying. Yeah. Um, with Twitter is a bit different because I know that I'm generally engaging someone. Like if someone sure. posts an article on whatever and I post a comment, there's a, say 50 50 chance they'll get a reply whereas on facebook yeah you're either talking with the people who are also commenting or you're just commenting into the abyss yeah. um so that's how i use it and same with on like sites like tech sites like on mobile server i'll randomly comment on something if something mm -hmm. hasn't been brought up before if right. something's been said i'll upvote it or something but mm -hmm. i won't necessarily just participate in this for the sake of discussion just because i don't have the energy for that all yeah. the time <laughs> um but yeah i think this civil comments thing is, is an interesting concept and i yeah i think it's for sites where they want to offer a comment section but they're not wanting to unleash the hounds and yeah just kind of well, i maybe open pandora's box is maybe more accurate <laughs> yeah, of an yeah. analogy or a metaphor um but yeah i i think that's kind of a good solution as far as just a black and white i don't think there's really a sure answer to whether comments are good or bad it's just case by case and i think you'll start seeing a lot more just try to keep that type of discussion to facebook or twitter versus host comments on their own site right. Depen again depending on the community and the type of comments it has like on like deadspin articles um i find that those types of comments are very entertaining because again they have their own community there's lots of inside jokes and it's just fairly entertaining it's almost entertaining as entertaining as the article itself to read through the comments yeah, yeah, yeah. um but then you have some that like cbc comments are always like oh you leftist blah 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 oh you yeah. conservative blah blah it's like oh my gosh like seriously yeah. but i don't know it's your mileage may vary on on your comment section and just if if you're the one in control of what you read then just find what you're happy reading and stick with that yeah exactly
Cool. Well, uh, we've been we've been going for over forty five minutes now, so you uh, you good to wrap up for this special Easter Sunday edition? Yes, I think we are. Good. All right. Uh, well, in that case, to everyone out there, thanks for listening to this week's future chat. You can head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat to see past episodes and subscribe to the show. And uh, we'll see you next week. Ciao. I don't know if you have any desire to do an after show. I was hoping to get to the iPhone just to see if Nick, but it sounds like Nick actually has some, some stuff to see on it. So, yeah. So I'll say one thing about this and then you can maybe say okay. one thing back. Um, if we want to go into why individual people might not want to buy individual phones. <laughs> I don't know. That's going to take a long time because we never do that. And we could talk about all the LG phones and all the Samsung phones and all the stuff that I do not want to you, buy. You know, that's not the same though, right? No, I get that there's, we can have a discussion about specific downsides and upsides to various mm-hmm. products by any company, yep. but we should hold other things that we haven't seen or touched or experienced to the same standard. Like I would love to give a theoretical review of the galaxy S seven, mm-hmm. for instance, right? if we're going to go down that route right. of like, I probably am not going to buy the iPhone SE, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say it's a bad thing for anyone to ever sure. buy it obviously it's been vetted and has gone through a bunch of processes to like people there are going to be people who want this phone i know a lot of people on the internet who even are technical people that just want a smaller phone and yeah. they're gonna they are getting it or going to get it or have already ordered it yeah yeah i'm i'm of the same way like i i want to try a windows phone i want to try mm-hmm. the blackberry oh, yeah. priv i want to try a z10 like these are all things that I would love to try. I may or may not like it, but I want to try it. You know, my upgrade from a Nexus 4 was the Note 4 because mm-hmm. I, since the Note came out, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's big. It has a stylus. It has a really good camera. You know, it has the different, you know, Samsung UI. Like, and even the Note 4, the, the touch whiz isn't bad. And I put the Google Now launcher on it. So it actually okay. feels a lot more like a Nexus than than a note now because right. the icon and the the launcher are very nexus based now because that's using the google now launcher um, sure. but yeah i i know i've i've really enjoyed playing with it and at this point i'm completely used to it and it's not weird to me and i've used the stylus i've you know the i use the camera regularly so i've really enjoyed having it but i can see why someone might not want to have it but yeah. i think as far as the the new iphone a it's in a lot bit of a bigger spotlight just because it's apple and they they held a keynote event for it like Mm -hmm. specifically for that phone like they did uh, they uh, announced other stuff too but uh, it it was a product keynote maybe that's worthy of discussion but i don't think that was i think the fbi thing was the main reason to have Mm -hmm. that event and then they padded it with the environment and the what was the other why couldn't the fbi thing be like a, a press release though just apple's comments on it because well, they've made comments, but they wanted to do something public where everyone's watching. And yeah, talking about the environment in that same in that same conversation, and talking about the their research kit and the updates to to the new care kit. I think they wanted to give those things a public forum because if they had done, if they had released these products without any event, without any hubbub, and this is this is honestly the smallest amount of hubbub Apple can make yeah. while talking about a product on a stage. Like they had like two hundred journalists or something. It's not that that's a tiny Apple event. That's like barely an event. Right. 
I don't think they were standing up on some huge stage saying, this is the best phone in the world. <laughs> no, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. And, and I think Nick and a lot of other people seem to be under the impression it was supposed to be that type of mm-hmm. thing. But if you weren't yeah. following along, then I can, I can understand why you'd think that. But it, for yeah. anyone who was following the event, it was obviously, yeah, like you said, a low key, you know, kind of like just, and just based on what Apple's released in the past, this type of update or this type of new product isn't that game changer the same way the no, six or success was. Yep. Right. So, and for, so for me, what I always want is a, the best camera, good enough battery life to get me through one day. And I want the ability to be happy with the amount of screen real estate I have. And so if, if I was going camping or something and I wanted a thing that would let me communicate, but that I wanted to kind of be the smallest thing possible, I love that small phone, mm-hmm. but the majority of my life, I want a thing that fits in my pocket still, but has a big screen yeah. so I can watch video or yeah. do whatever. And so that's why the bigger phone has struck a good balance for me. But what I would really want more than anything is the feature that I've talked about for a long time now, where you have a phone that's flexible, in, like in the other two dimensions, where you can stretch it out from from an iPhone SE size up to an iPhone 6 Plus size, right. up to an iPad size if you really want. Like I want a stretchable screen where you can make it bigger <laughs> or smaller at will. Right. And then I could have the best of both worlds. But for now, I have to kind of pick which one I want, not being able to afford both. Right. And for me, that one that I want is the big one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having a Note 4 as my main phone and I have a 5 as my work phone because that was mm-hmm. a suit to me. I could never go through life with an iPhone 5 sized phone. Yeah. Like exactly. with the way I use my phone now. And even with this, the SE, like, yeah, it's for people who want a good camera because that was a very good camera for people who want a powerful phone just to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not a consumption device. Right. I guess in theory it can be, but it's... It could be. It could be. And it, I have used it as that, yeah. but it's not as good yeah. for that. 